You're listening to the CISO 500, sponsored by MasterCard. In this episode, Dr. Alyssa Abdullah, better known as Dr. J, is joined by Ira Winkler, former chief security architect at Walmart. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Abdullah, better known as Dr. J, Senior Vice President and Deputy Chief Security Officer for MasterCard, CISO Ambassador for Cybersecurity Ventures, and your host for today's CISO 500 episode. I am here today with the field CISO and Vice President for Cy, Mr. Ira Winkler. Ira, so good to have you. I'm glad to be here finally to talk to you. I feel like our paths have crossed. I mean, you have such a rich background. I feel like I've heard your name goo-gobs of times and our paths have crossed and crisscrossed applesauce all over the place. Tell me, and I like to let listeners know how people become who they are. What was your journey? Do you have a background in cybersecurity or technology? What was your journey to being a CISO? So I was actually a psychology major in college, and the only people that would hire me was NSA. You know, nobody <laughs> hires an undergraduate psychology major, but I took right. some, you know, at the time, I guess it was called the CQB, Career Qualifications Battery, bunch of psychometric tests, did really well, got there, they said you had really good computer aptitude, how about a computer internship where we'll train you to be, I'm like, I hate computers, I want nothing to do with them. Then they're like, what about a crypt analytic? You know, you want, you know, you play games all day. I'm like, I'm not looking at ones and zeros all day. So I took a job as an intelligence analyst working for NSOC, which you'll know what that is having worked there. And God, I hated that job so much. And then I reapplied to the computer intern program, got cross-trained, got a master's in info systems, and then did a bunch of things. This means nothing now, unfortunately, but I could say my <laughs> first computer was a Cray. And that means nothing to people. I know exactly <laughs> what a cray is. <laughs> and then um, it sounded so impressive at the time. Then I ended up doing a bunch of things at NSA, cryptanalysis, you know, system design, maintenance, support to field ops. And then I ended up going to government contracting world, doing a bunch of different things there for NSA and a bunch of other agencies. And then one day they said, instead of going to the Pentagon, because I was supporting them, putting the first intranet in the Pentagon, which dates me, they said, instead of going to the Pentagon, can you make a few phone calls? And three days later, I had control over one of the world's largest investment banks doing a social engineering attack, which I had no idea what that was. And then I wrote a paper because they had a policy. If you had a paper accepted at a professional conference, they had to send you. So one was Sydney, Australia. One was Banff, Canada. You know, this one was Salt Lake City, where I was never at the time. And I wrote a paper on how I took over a bank. And it was called The Seminal Work in Social Engineering. And all of a sudden, I had to look up what seminal meant, what social engineering <laughs> meant. And I became a world-renowned expert. Did a bunch of things. I started a company I sold to HP, was chief security strategist there. Started another company focused on the human aspects of cybersecurity, sold that. Then I eventually went to be more recently chief security architect at Walmart, where I had a lovely time. And then I ended up, you know, left Walmart and field CISO at Sci now, where again, my whole career, and I'm sorry, I don't want to like do this as an advertisement, but my whole career. Even back in 1997, I wrote that if you're a security professional, you are a failure by definition, 
because the definition of security is being free from risk and you're never free from risk. Your job is managing risk and more importantly, optimizing risk. And frankly, that's what Psy did. And, you know, they have a platform that essentially tracks attack path visualization and then figures out where are the most cost-effective ways to mitigate attacks inside and outside. And that was how I came to them. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was really just a comedy of errors from one thing to another that led to kind of make a few phone calls that led to my career. But I love that you said that because that is one of the things when I, when people ask me, well, what's your, what advice do you have to give? My advice is always, you know, in terms of your career, what, what advice would you give other people? And my advice has always been try different things and it's okay to not like something. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to say, you know what, this job right here isn't for me. Let me go into another area. Let me go, go somewhere else. Maybe the culture of that organization isn't for you. Let me try and do a lot of different things. And I found it in my background. I've done a lot of different things as well. So I love hearing that from you. I love that. And very respectfully, I say that with the utmost respect. It's a hodgepodge of trial and error and success, right? You know, you put it all together and you create just a rich story about now who you are now and how you've grown, how you've grown through that and have impacted all of these different organizations through all of those different experiences. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And one thing I want to have, because lately it's kind of like, I'm a person, if people follow me on social media, they know I'm a person of pet peeves. Uh huh. And one of the pet peeves, and I'm glad you touched upon, because, you know, lately you have people who say, I'm proud, I don't know how to program and I'm in cybersecurity. No, you don't need a tech background. No, you don't need this. My problem is, and I think you also define this, your problem is you're not proud of what you don't know you learn what you don't know. Right. And I see so many people out there saying, you don't know how to program. It's like, I didn't know how to program either, but I learned because it was important. I didn't know mm -hmm. anything about cybersecurity. Yeah, I had a tech background by that point, but I remember the first time I took over a bank, it was exciting. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking at what do I need to know about cybersecurity? I bought the WAC Mac archives, which was <laughs> a CD by the loft on Mac hacks. Uh -huh. And I was like practicing on Macs how to hack. You know, I went to social media, well, at the time you call it social media, but I went to bulletin boards. Yeah. And yeah. PBSs and downloaded hacking tools where I'd practice. And the thing was, it's about you know, frankly, I just want to get across. It's not just about being open to experiences. It's about, as the joke goes, I believe in luck. And the more prepared I am, the more luck I have. Yeah. And right. I don't want people to think that it's just a matter of this, because I know in your career, you've studied and you've embedded yourself in mm -hmm. what you needed to learn, not sit there and say, I'm proud. I never learned how to program. And I'm like, that's to right. be embarrassed because that's willful ignorance for something that, frankly, no, you don't have to know how to program, but it does help you understand. It does help you do and jump into things mm -hmm. and like make things simpler. Cause like I was involved and this dates me a little bit as well. I was involved in the infamous Citibank bank robbery where a Russian hacker broke into Citibank in 1994 and stole $12 million. And we were writing tools on the fly on how to do better, you know, 
ironically, we use Microsoft Excel, I think it was, some spreadsheet. Right. Start analyzing traffic and looking at connections, but we still had to write macros and other programs to whittle the data down. And it was just important, just Sorry, that's my soapbox. I'll get no, off. No, that's okay. Other things. That's okay. That's okay. It made me just think about, like, in my background, I spent some time with President Obama. I was his deputy CIO. And I got into that position thinking, and I was so excited thinking, oh, crap, I don't really know what a CIO does. I've <laughs> never done it. <laughs> I've never done it. And me and the current CIO, we sat there together and he said, we're going to figure it out together. We'll all figure it out. And it was that momentum and that excitement that helped me learn. And I was so, so engaged in all of these different areas that it made the experience so enriching for me. And so, you know, I think of cybersecurity the same way. You get into it, there's so many different avenues, there's so many different doors that it can be an enriching experience, whether you're talking about the people side, whether you're talking about the process side or the technology side. I got my question, because I know you've written a book, You Can't Stop Stupid, my question for you is, do you think the technology side will ever solve the cybersecurity problem for the people side? Okay, so now the book title is You Can. I just have to be you specific. Can. You can. You can. You can stop stupid. And stupid, oh, that's great. are the people, stupid is not the stupid user. It's the stupid designers of systems that allow users to destroy their networks you know, because if a user can click on a link and ruin your network, it's your mm -hmm. network that sucks, which goes directly to your question. Because here's the principle, and I take lessons from other disciplines, because in cybersecurity, we act like we're the only profession in the world that ever has to deal with human error. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at all these other things that have to deal with it, and think of it this way. If a CFO ever walked into a board meeting and said, well, we just had a $20 million loss, but you know, it was a user. We can't blame the user. You know, what are we going to do? And then the CEO would be like, we don't blame the user. We blame you because you're right. responsible for putting systems in place to stop $20 million financial losses from a single action. In cybersecurity, we need to adopt the same principle and I kind of like you know, and you can't stop stupid. I talk about the concept of human security engineering, mm -hmm. and you don't have to buy my book. I have free presentations about that around the internet. But human security engineering, going to your question is, a user is the proximity of where loss is initiated, mm -hmm. not where loss is realized, because when a user clicks on a link, the money doesn't disappear. The root network isn't destroyed. That's it interesting. It a series of potential technical actions that go ahead and go into creating loss. Right. Like if it's downloading malware. The user doesn't manually flip every bit. Yeah. User might initiate the download of potential software or give up their credentials, which allows a bad person in. And then that person then download software, which then the operating systems actually encrypt the bits. I might have to steal that. The user is where loss is initiated. Right. I love the way you put that. And so when you look at that, what I think in human security engineering, adopting principles from safety science, in safety science, if a person is injured, it's a failure of the whole system, not a failure of the person. 
Right. Because even if a person did something stupid outright, and people do do stupid things, don't get me wrong. Right. But even if a user does something stupid, the question is, why were they in that position? Could they have been put in a better position that they didn't do something? And even if they do, how can we proactively stop potential harm? Now, for example, if a user is climbing up a ladder, it's like, well, maybe you tie a harness to their belt. Maybe you <laughs> do other right. you know, things right. like that. But, you know, you can stop the potential harm. But even in cybersecurity, just because a user clicks on a link, I mean, I hate the expression, your user's your last line of defense. They are not. Mm -hmm. The technology, to your point, is the last defense and layers of technology. So think of it this way. And to answer your question, for phishing, because that's the most common and you've got me going. But <laughs> in the first place, a bad person has to have a botnet to send out phishing messages. There the internet failed and the internet could be better. Then it has to go through a perimeter. The perimeter could have DMARC and other protections. And if right. it goes through there, that would stop. The technology would stop it. Then it goes through a secure email gateway. The secure email gateway is supposed to filter out harmful links, mm -hmm. malware, messages that are bad, and so on. Then, in theory, let's say it fails there, then it goes to an email client. Mm -hmm. The email client has its own malware protection, has its own spam box, has an inbox, has user experience. Right. Then it goes to a user where the user makes decisions. Now, we can help the user by having better nudges, as it's known, by tagging messages with right. some, you know, there's new tools out there. Yep. Say the new sender, this is bad language or uncommon language for that mm -hmm. sender, external message, whatever. But then a user decides to click, even if you warn them, you say, hey, no, he's like, no, I'm a sociopath. I want to ruin this network. Mm -hmm. And they go ahead and they click. And then you go ahead and then you should have, you know, before going into the different actions, you have data leak prevention, web right. content filters, anti-malware. So you've got layers from all different layers. Right. Levels, but, layers yeah. from all different levels. Exactly. And then awareness. I, you know, I also wrote security awareness for dummies. I am a firm believer in the value of awareness, but every tool I mentioned is a risk reduction strategy that you need to determine which ones are best to put in place. Mm -hmm. And now, yes, awareness can reduce risk, not solve the people problem, not right. create this theoretical human firewall, but it reduces the risk of a user taking an action and every reduction of risk is critical. But to your point, technology is layered and technology has to fail for a user to fail. Right. Right. So anyway, soapbox, okay, right. I stepped off the soapbox now. No, 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 that's good. <laughs> that's good. That is so good. From a couple of, you know, just me hearing you speak, you have dug into a lot of different areas. Your experience, if you look at your experience, you've done a lot of different things in a lot of different areas, still in the threat of cybersecurity and information technology. This is going to be my last question for you, and I'm going to leave it, let you have the final word. What is your funnest challenge? Like, what's the funnest, hardest problem that you've worked on? Well, I'll give you two answers to that. So the first question was back when I was installing that intranet in the Pentagon, uh -huh. I'd appreciate this with your background. I was given the job of integrating this system into the Autodin network. That's yes. big. 
Yes. What happened was I was, they're like, oh, just, you know, make the API for it or whatever. And I'm sitting there. And then as I dug into it, I realized if I write software to plug a computer into the AutoDIN pipe, this then has to go through an entire certification process. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so I was researching the boards that plug in and, and all that stuff. Then I realized that they have auto-din computers were just built onto laptops that you can take a board, put it in a laptop, and it was automatically certified because they were just supposed to make auto-din dumb terminals out of from that board. And I thought, okay, I made them give me a cheap PC. Mm-hmm. I bought one of the cheap boards, put it in the computer. <laughs> then I did an NFS mount of from that computer onto the server. So whenever that system took in messages, it automatically fed it into our network where we then went ahead and shot it through the process. Right. And that totally bypassed a year worth of certification nobody knew. And while, frankly, when I told people, I probably saved them a half million dollars and they're like, yeah, sure, Ira, they don't realize I saved them a half million dollars and two years on an effort they never realized they would have had to go through. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I have to pat myself on the back, but that (laughs) that was creativity. And probably in the bowels of the Pentagon, there's probably a 20 or 30 year old PC because it was already old by the time I got it. Mm-hmm. sitting there that they can't figure out why they can't take away. And then the other thing is, frankly, at the end of the day, the job's about communication. It is. And trying to talk to yes. people because there's the technical solutions that are there. There's the human solutions that are there. Mm-hmm. But then getting people to understand what we're doing. And again, not trying, but like, you know, what I love about Sai is it actually translates the business needs. Mm-hmm. And translating the business needs, frankly, has been the biggest problem we have because, yes, we talk about CISOs not having or technology people not having soft skills, but it's critical, these soft skills. We have plenty of people who can implement technology. We don't have people who can translate the technology to business goals and telling people, and I, I don't want to say idolizing, but getting people to appreciate cybersecurity has to be embedded in what we do. It's not a bolted on thing. And right. that's where we're failing. And that's frankly been you know half my mission in my career is getting people to understand it's an integrated part of business. It's not the separate discipline that gets called in at the end of a delivery or something. Right, right. Well, Ira, I could talk to you all day. You talk about communication being one of the funnest, hardest problems. It, it absolutely yeah. is. I can talk to you all day. I think we have so much in common and our backgrounds, like I said before, have intercrossed so much, but I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today and with our listeners and sharing a little bit about you and what you do and how you got to where you are. There's so, so many great nuggets throughout our conversation. No, I really appreciate it. Again, like I was joking, we've got to catch up sometime outside of this without a you know, artificial window of a podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm Dr. J, your host for today's CISO 500 episode, joined by Ira Winkler, Chief Information Security Officer of SCI. To learn more about SCI, go to www.cyesec.com. 
cybercrime.com. You can listen to all of our podcasts on cybercrime.radio. Thanks for listening to the CISO 500. Today's episode was sponsored by MasterCard. Learn more at mastercard.us.